Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Fire Chief Ken McMullen has been part of the fire service going on, what, 25 years now? Starting, uh, I know you started in the volunteer ranks and uh, uh, past, what, five years, uh, Chief of Emergency Services in Red Deer, Alberta, and adding another role, a brand new role, as the president of the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs. Chief McMullen, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's always a pleasure uh, to see you, to talk to you, uh, Chief DeSorcy, and thanks so kindly for the invite today. You know, I, I, we, we touch on all, we always, and you've been on the show before and, and talking about uh, your department. And uh, for those that may not know, give us a little taste of uh, some of the challenges and, and the makeup of, of, your, uh, of your department and, uh, and your emergency services in Red Deer. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, we're very unique and very fortunate in the city of Red Deer to be a fully integrated department um, in Alberta. There are seven of us left um, that are integrated, meaning all of our firefighters are also paramedics. So we run five fully integrated uh, advanced life support engines, and we run five uh, ALS uh, ambulances 24 hours a day here in the city of Red Deer. Red Deer is geographically located right in between the two big cities of Edmonton and Calgary, right on the heart of our Highway 2 uh, so obviously we'll have some road incidents, not unlike other communities with a major thoroughfare between their community. Uh, again, however, as a result of being a part of the EMS system, our number one stressors uh, on our system primarily relate to our use of ambulances, ambulances waiting in, in hospital waiting bays, uh, similar to other communities. However, uh, because those staff report to me directly, it is part of the Red Deer Emergency Services being a fully integrated service here in uh, the city of uh, Red Deer. Is, is this unique to Alberta? No, I can't recall hearing other uh, cities, other communities having the same model. Yeah, so what happened, a uh, little history going back to 2009, uh, when the government of Alberta took back the EMS system here in Alberta. Prior to that, it was all municipal-led, uh, similar to some other provinces where the city of Calgary, for example, would run their own ambulance service, and the city of Red Deer ran their own ambulance service. And in 2009, uh, the province came in and took over what I would say the BC model, where uh, the BC ambulance system, well, in Alberta, it turned into the Alberta Healthcare EMS system. And although at the time there was somewhere in the vicinity of 35 uh, fire departments that ran ambulance services, uh, all of them gave them back except seven. And those seven of us remain still to this day not without its challenges. Don't don't get yourself wrong there. There's a lot of challenges being a third-party operator in such a uh, high-demand level of business that we provide. And uh, so, again, there are seven of us. I would say we're very unique and we'll continue to to deliver that service as long as we can afford to do so. Congratulations, by the way, on the uh, the election to president of the the CAFC. Um, How many years have you been involved now with, with the association? I, I kind of chuckle. Uh, I guess it's a it's a bad habit of mine. I've, I've been involved at the association about 26 years, um, originally starting uh, with their program planning in, in 2001. The City of Calgary Fire Department was hosting a, a Canadian Fire Chiefs Conference and they were looking for volunteers. So I put up my hand uh, in 2001 and I, I haven't left since. Uh, uh, fortunately to be on the board for the last uh, three three terms 
most recently as the vice president and uh, when Chief McCurney uh, made his final decision to retire a second time. Uh, that vacancy occurred in the president role. And I guess uh, I felt it as though the timing was right for me within my career and to offer the best that I could to the association. The timing, again, was was appropriate for me to put my name up. And uh, as you know, there was no other uh, individuals running against me at that time. So it was a, an acclaimed position. Uh, and uh, I, I really do look forward to moving the agenda of the CFC forward over the next couple of years. I know the association has had its challenges over the years, and certainly the pandemic was a big part of that. And uh, you think of your previous uh, uh, leader in terms of uh, Chief McKerney, who had to go through that, uh, that, that period in time where it was very, very difficult for the fire service, not to mention the rest of the country and the world. What's now the forecast coming out uh, in terms of how and the direction the association can head into? Yeah, you know, very valid points, uh, Tom, in regards to some of the issues that Chief McCurney faced. And, and I'm very thankful that, that he was at the helm during those time and, and not myself. And I say that because he's he's so uh, well prepared to help us m- maneuver some of those financial uh, constraints that we faced. Obviously, our conference moved virtual for two years and, and uh, a, a large majority of the association's um, budget it comes from conferences. So we knew we had to, to look at things differently. We still had the conferences, as you know, but certainly didn't bring in the revenue that we had uh, in previous years. So looking forward, I think there's a couple of pieces. And first and foremost, I don't think that that the COVID, I call it a COVID hangover, and I hope that uh, you and your listeners appreciate that. There's just realities that, that COVID's not necessarily over. There's still a lot of impacts to COVID. We see in other communities, our, our colleagues in Ontario are, are, are today back talking about mandatory masking and what's that look like in their communities. Uh, so I would, I, I think we're a little premature to say that COVID's over. And I share that because there's still impacts to the Canadian Fire Service as to what COVID um, implications there are. So I think that in the future, we're still going to have to watch closely of what the impacts are of COVID. And uh, similarly, I would say the the impacts to the service as far as the increased risk that first responders felt during the COVID hasn't gone away. And, and so there's still some learning to come as a result of that in order to how to prepare ourselves for the next five, 10 years uh, coming out of COVID. So lots of opportunities. Very fortunate that we were able to be back face-to-face in uh, Ottawa this past September for our conference. And I think everybody was was very excited to be back and, and uh, see each other face-to-face uh, once again. I think one of the, uh, the revelations for me and the realizations of getting back together in Ottawa this, uh, this past year was the cross-country checkup where you brought all the members of the uh, of the National Advisory Council to the uh, podium to to bring forward their concerns, their issues that affect their fire service in their provinces and territories. And the fact that a lot of it, most of it was not unique. It was all the same, you know, from the from the ambulance wait times, from the volunteer, uh, you know, uh, recruitment and retention. It's amazing that the problems or the issues we share, we share nationally. Incredible. Yeah, I would say incredible is the right word on that. I I honestly was probably as surprised as anybody else listening to all of those conversations take place. And uh, being a a chief of an integrated service that provides EMS, I was 
equally as surprised that everybody else seemed to be facing this whole medical uh, ambulance service issues within their communities. I think the other piece that was mentioned in that cross country was just the inflation cost of everything. Uh, and, and those that were sharing that the cost of purchasing our personal protective equipment all the way up through obviously our, our large pieces of fire apparatus, those prices have increased 20, 30% over the last two years. And I know I, I'm in budget this week in the city of Red Deer, and I know I'm budgeting on today's costs and, and not necessarily on what the cost of that apparatus might be in two years from now where there's a 30% inflation increase. Wow, um, that's, the, that's the predicament I think we all faced is our budget cycles two years ago didn't necessarily contemplate the, the COVID impact to uh, what we were facing. So really a lot of challenges in that area that we're going to see. And, and again, I think that you're absolutely right in the, in the fact that there was so many similarities uh, coast to coast to coast. It was, it was remarkable. And, and, and if I may, really sets the, the direction of where CAFC can help advocate at that federal level is to find that common uh, pieces throughout the country and help advocate at that level. How important is that advocate role uh, in terms of the CAFC has always played, but I think, it, as you say, it's going to be more important moving forward for the association to step up and represent every single fire department and uh, and uh, organization across our country? Well, you know, I, I'm certainly going to say that we'll do our best. Uh, the, the advocacy piece I've come to learn is is of, of utmost importance. I think that having the, having the ear of government is the utmost importance. And uh, we have done a lot of great work in that area. And you go back to even the, the, the tax credit that was put in place many years ago, that was solely done on the back of the CAFC and the advocacy work. There are other pieces that we're going to continue to champion in that area, mental health being one of those and ensuring that the, the proper funding is in place for mental health. And, and, and those pieces at that federal level, it's not to take away of the wonderful work that the provinces, territories and allied groups are doing, but it really is trying to find that th those initiatives that are federally based that we as the CAFC can be the face for and, and get in front of government. As you know, uh, Tom, we're, we're at Government Relations Week next week uh, in Ottawa, where Today, we have about 50 of our members that are going to join us in Ottawa to do some, some advocacy work. Exactly what you're talking about is get on that, get on the, the, the page of government on some of our big asks and uh, make, it, make it top of mind for our elected officials coming into their budget cycle. It's one thing to talk about the concerns and issues that are going forward, but in terms of what has been, and you said having the ear of government, and I believe that government has been listening, has been using that ear to hear what the association and what the Canadian Fire Service has had to say. Uh, in your past, uh, you know, in your other roles, being the vice president, being on the board, what has, uh, you know, what has encouraged you the most and some of the things that government has done and, and the fact that they are actually paying attention? Yeah, and, and you have to give credit where credit is due. And, and I have to give that that credit to the staff, uh, the executive director, Tina Saradine, uh, her staff, uh, in the office have just done so much tremendous work. As you know, Tom, these these board positions are, uh, these are in addition to our day-to-day -day roles as chiefs in our communities. And so all of the heavy, heavy lifting is done at the, at the office in Ottawa. And to say that they do a tremendous job is an understatement. They really get us in the face of government. And uh, Executive Director Dr. Saradine has history within lobbying. 
uh, in her former role prior to coming to the CFC and uses that, that those opportunities to uh, get us into places that perhaps we wouldn't have gotten into before. I think one of the, one of the telltale signs today is government is coming to us and offering opportunities for us to be at the table. And, and, and I would suggest that five years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. We were doing more knocking and less answering. And now we seem to be doing more answering and a little less knocking. And, and I'm okay with that. Would that be something that has maybe taken you by surprise over the years that in fact, the government is, is, you know, that it is, it's what you always wanted as an association and provincially or nationally that you want to be the respected voice of the service. Is, is that, did that surprise you uh, moving, uh, you know, when you were a bunch of years ago uh, seeing that? Yeah, I, I don't know if surprise is the right term. I, I guess I would say that because surprise gives the indication that you probably didn't expect it to happen. And, and I would suggest that we wanted it to happen. As you said, we expected it to happen. Uh, very pleased, I would say, would be a more appropriate term. And uh, again, I think that we've come a long way. And I go back to the likes of uh, President uh, Chief Ken Block, uh, over to Chief McCurney, and then fortunately myself, I'm coming in where so much of that groundwork has been laid before me that I just get to reap the rewards of it. Touch on, on Touching on some of the issues, and you talked about mental health, that, is, uh, that has really become part of the, uh, of the, of the conversation. And, and again, not just in the fire service uh, at the larger levels, and I talk about the metro side, but into the volunteer, into the POC ranks. Uh, what what else can we do? What's being done currently? Where are we at nationally with the mental health topic, and and where can we go? Yeah, I think we're we are certainly a player at the national level on these conversations uh, with our our colleagues at Public Safety Canada, uh, particularly through the work of the University of Regina and SIPSERT, which is the Center for Injury Prevention, Research, and Treatment out of the University of Regina. I'm fortunate to, to be the co-chair of the Public Safety Steering Committee. And I know there's a lot of acronyms, Tom, but at the end of the day, all that really means is that the CASC and the Canadian Fire Service has a voice, has a seat at the table at, at very large tables talking about mental health for all first responders. And we have gained funding. We have distributed funding. For a lot of years, the CFC didn't really want to be a deliverer of programs. We didn't want to own programs. We wanted to help get resources to communities. And and I will tell you that there was a strategic move uh, 18 months ago where uh, Dr. Saradine and the team suggested that, you know, we've done enough trying to distribute. We really have an opportunity to deliver. And so we've done that. We've done a bit of a pyramid approach where we have trained individual CAFC members, including staff at the headquarters, who now go back out into communities and deliver those trainings uh, on behalf of the department. So although it wasn't what we intended to do, and I would suggest not necessarily desired to do, it has turned out to be a very positive thing. And we have seen that spread of delivery of training across the Canadian Fire Service as a result of that. Is that sustainable? Is that what we want to do forever? I don't know the answer to that sitting here today, Tom, but I think that it has met the needs of what we needed at the time. And if we can train more people who are willing to train, who are willing to train that whole pyramid effect, uh, we will, at the end of the day, have more individuals uh, aware of the mental health training and awareness that's out there. Before I leave that, I think there's an important reality there. And, and we're facing it. And that reality is the more we train and educate our staff on the signs, symptoms of mental health, the more they're going to take advantage of gaining that, the help and support that they need. And I fully support that. 
the reality to that is we are going to see our staff potentially leaving their volunteer role, leaving the POC roles, or in, in paid career departments, uh, you're going to see time off, you're going to see individuals that are out for potentially a long period of time. And, and, and some might argue that we're challenging our own staffing model by encouraging folks to take mental health training, which then means that they're going to go get help for their mental health. And I will, I will argue uh, uh, day in, day out that I would much rather people get the help that they need. And regardless of the impacts that has on a pressuring on a staff perspective, the reality is if we don't deal with this, these folks are going to leave one way or another. Uh, and, and those can be in horrific circumstances where we know that some staff and first responders have taken their life. We know that there are individuals that have left the service and never come back. And, and I do believe that these are uh, situations that can be dealt with earlier with the appropriate treatment so that people remain healthy and are able to give back to their communities in whatever capacity that they can. And so I, although I agree and appreciate that there is the impacts of individuals learning about mental health and awareness, uh, the benefit far outweighs the risk of um, the overall uh, reduction of staff for a period of time. And the unfortunate part, as you mentioned, is that people are leaving the fire service. Uh, unfortunately, the trouble is that the fire service doesn't leave them. And I think that's one of the big concerns. Well said. Well said. I agree. I, I want to talk, you talked about training and I want to touch on training and, and shift gears a bit in terms of the fact that uh, a few provinces have now instituted BC and Ontario's jumping on board on the, on the topic of minimum training standards. Uh, what is the feeling nationally to, to this approach and, and the CAFC's uh, maybe role in this moving forward? Yeah, you know what, this is a really interesting topic and my answer will probably sound somewhat uh, non-committal in the sense that it's pretty new. And what we are doing at the national level is talking to those communities where it has been implemented and find out how it's going, what's good, what's bad, what are the challenges and what are the opportunities. And I know, like I said, that sounds like a pretty canned answer to that. The fact is, when we first heard about this, I think that there was a, a mixed reaction uh, by our community in the fire service. I think you're going to hear some that say absolutely fully support minimum training standards. There are, there are thousands of examples out there and a thousand of industries that show minimum uh, training standards. I think where we're, we're all going to agree is the funding to ensure that that happens. And, and I think that for those communities that have faced it, that has been the reality that they've come back with and said it's the piece on funding that they're most conscious of and, and how do we get around that. Overall, I do believe that there is, there is benefit in having minimum training standards. What those look like and how in-depth those minimum training standards are likely need to be discussed before the Canadian Fire Service is going to fully jump on board of this concept of minimum training standards. We talked earlier about uh, medical response and, and the fact that uh, most, uh, if not all, departments that are involved in medical response in some form or another are facing challenges with, with dealing with ambulance wait times and, and, and call volume. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it's changing, it's happening nationwide. Are there steps that, uh, that a national approach can take to, uh, to get involved by what the provinces are, are seeing? Yeah, again, uh, as I'd mentioned earlier, and, and what came very, very clear to me was this wasn't just a, a local issue. This was this is a Canadian issue. And when you hear people uh, as far away as the Yukon territories and, and everybody in between talk about the wait times that they're facing uh, in their EMS system, 
we know uh, that Canadian Fire Service has always been a part of the, the health care system. Uh, whether it was identified as that or not uh, probably could be debated. But you and I that have lived this, that sat on trucks, know the fire service is a part of the healthcare system. Now we have to get that recognized. We have to get our healthcare professionals to understand the roles that we play because it's becoming more often, it's becoming more frequent, and it's becoming uh, at a risk that our, our men and women are facing uh, greater every single day. There are communities, Tom, that I, that I will tell you, uh, their call volumes are somewhere in the 80% medical first response. And there's an impact to that. There's an impact on their training. There's an impact on the equipment that you now have to have. And so the, the conversation at the national level first is going to begin with our colleagues at the uh, Canadian Association of Chiefs of Paramedics and have that conversation about how can we work together? Where is there collaboration between what the, the national levels of chiefs of fire and chiefs of paramedics can work on collectively? That, that meeting hasn't happened yet, but I'll tell you that that's on our agenda to do in the coming months. Then it's to go back to our public health agencies across the, the, the country and talk about what are the impacts of, of the healthcare system on the fire service. And, and we've got some good ideas. Some of our colleagues in some of the metro departments have some good ideas. And we'd like to put those in front of our, our national colleagues to talk about. We believe that we have some options and some opportunities to assist the, the, the pressures on the EMS. And we need somebody to sit down and be willing to listen to us on those. You talk about what's moving forward, what's coming up, and I want to focus a bit on the horizon. What do you see uh, that we may not see that should be uh, of interest to the fire service nationally? I, I would say it, it's exactly what we talked about today, Tom. It's it's those big, big pieces. Um, the, the mental health is going to continue to be on the horizon as a very important topic of conversation. The minimum training standards, that, that conversation is by far done. I think that it is going to be continued in, in all municipalities across this country is to have that conversation. And, and again, I know I'm repeating myself, but you, you've nailed so importantly those big topics of the medical first response issues that we're facing. It's not lost uh, on our membership because we've been very vocal on it, is our advocacy at the federal level to create a national fire advisor and, and to have a, a consistent voice within government in its simplest term, and I guess it's at its basic level, trying to... Uh, imitate the U.S. fire administrator in the office of uh, FEMA. Now, that's a that's a stretch. We know that. But I think in conversations, when we're trying to explain it to people, including government, which we'll be doing next week in Ottawa, is talk about the role of a national fire advisor. It was some uh, 30 years ago that Canada had the Dominion Fire Commissioner. I wasn't even in the service, but I'm aware that it existed. And it was a fire commissioner that uh, worked for the, for the government of Canada. And so 30 years later, we're really just trying to recreate that uh, in, in one form or another. I want to give you a chance to to plug the association and the benefits. I always appreciate this. I always tell this story uh, about my involvement in associations provincially and of course, federally, nationally, that, that it, the association, the Canadian fire chiefs association is for everybody in Canada in terms of being from the fire service and, and, and how, and some of the work that you can do and how it, it affect your community to be a part of it. I want to give you a, give you a chance to, to reiterate that for me. Well, thank you. And you've done a great 
segue into that, I would I would suggest that uh, for the first time ever, we've reached over a thousand members of the CAFC. So that is a milestone. Uh, we did that just in September. So congratulations to all involved in that. I think that what we continue to do is prove the worth of the CAFC. Uh, whether you are following along in our daily updates via emails, if you go on our website, there are so many amazing resources, more than I, I even access on a regular basis. But I encourage people to go to the website, ask a chief where we can rely on one another in different communities to throw a, an issue or concern out there and get some real live feedback from one of your peers is, is a really interesting tool. Some of the information that we've just released on the, on the census data of what's happening across this country on our volunteer and paid on call system. So many communities can benefit from that, including our metro departments, um, because without the volunteers surrounding them, it would just increase the workload in our metro departments. So I would see that there's value in, in every single one of the, the attributes that we put out there. This is not to say uh, that we are trying to, by any means, uh, take over the role of the provincial associations. I think there's very distinct differences between what is done at the, the provincial level uh, versus what's done federally. And, and the creation of the NAC going back uh, however many years ago that was really, I think, ensures that we don't do that and that we've got the right people around those tables saying, hey, you know what, I'm just going to remind you of your swim lane. And uh, we think that this is a provincial issue, not necessarily a federal issue. And yet on the federal issues, we want to take it on. We want to we want to be that voice that represents all of the provinces, territories and allied groups and moving those those items forward. And I think that we've been very, very consistent on sharing those messages amongst our, our provinces and uh, moving in the right direction. So I don't see uh, any real uh, concerns with issues being brought by a province that isn't supported by uh, the feds. And, and I would say that's vice, vice versa. At the end of the day, all I'm going to tell you is that, that if you haven't joined, if you haven't talked to somebody who is a member, reach out and hear from them. And I think that you'll hear that they have completely benefited from their membership of the CAFC. And if you have any questions, particularly, uh, you can reach out to me at any time. I think it's quite clear that the uh, train is firmly on the rails and, <laughs> and steadily picking up speed. Congratulations and all the best, uh, you know, moving forward. And thanks for to the association for the work they do in representing all of us. It's our pleasure. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for getting the messages out there. Uh, and uh, as always, stay safe. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.